I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... Actually, it's incredible data showing that when a woman is running a company, the return on invested capital is higher, capital efficiency is better, and so the data was there in a way it hadn't been when my mom did this work. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. What's Working in Washington? I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Today's show, we are really happy to be joined by Jenny Abramson. She is the founder and managing director of Rethink Impact, which is a gender-focused venture capital firm here in Washington, D.C. When I say gender-focused, I mean she and her colleagues discover, invest in, and nurture women-run companies. So guess what? There aren't enough of them, and the ones that there are are typically unable to raise enough venture capital. In fact, only 3% of venture capital goes to companies run by women, and that ain't right, as they say. She has built a fund that is just killing it. Fund One, founded in 2015, new fund coming out later uh, this year, uh, chasing companies that have that gender feature. We talked about the environment for raising capital, how you deploy capital, what kind of companies they're finding, but maybe as important, we talked about what COVID meant to the kind of men and women that run the companies, well, women that run it, but men and women that work at the companies they invest in, and how COVID has both helped and hurt the venture capital and investment industry. Here's our conversation. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So you're now the largest gender-focused venture capital firm. Congratulations. It must be very heartening to see the response of limited partners who support your and your colleagues' vision and then the way you're getting capital deployed in ways that keep limited partners happy, because we all know that's actually the name of the game. So what was the genesis of the reason for Rethink Impact? You know, honestly, I was um, not a traditional path to venture capital. I was a CEO of a tech company and had been in other tech companies, and I was often the only female on a given stage in a given room. Got it. And I had never... Gender hadn't really been a focus for me. And when I looked up the data, I saw that less than 3% of all venture dollars were going to women. My own mom ran what probably was the first institutional VC investing in women about 25 years earlier. And the data had shown that actually less, uh, lower percentage of venture dollars were going to women when I started in 2015 than when she was doing it in the 90s. What? And I thought, this is crazy. Yeah. So, So, yeah. So how did you... Start the pitch. Like, did you walk around to traditional LPs? Did you hit your own Rolodex, forgive the data term, uh, from people from your business career? Did you do all the above? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, the idea was, it was investing in women and putting data behind that. There actually is incredible data showing that when a woman is running a company, the return on invested capital is higher, capital efficiency is better. And so the data was there in a way it hadn't been when my mom did this work. So it was partnering up with lots of others. So I certainly didn't do it alone. Um, We were fortunate to get UBS Bank on board for the first fund. We um, got institutions, major foundations on board, university endowment, and then high net worths. And, you know, often when you go to people you've made money for in the past, it can make it a little easier. Shockingly, they'll take um, your call. To to do that. And so and say fund one in 2015, I'd say most people said, gender, what? This isn't really a thing. 2020, when we raised the second fund was, you know, we had a track record and the world had changed in terms of conversation on gender. Well, as a first-time fund, you when you approached college or university endowments, 
respectfully, my experience with people that come in first time fund is they're left out of the door. So you were able to get some traction there? Well, my compliance officer would say I can't talk too much Understood. about fundraising, but um, but we were fortunate. And I think, um, again, it wasn't me by myself. I think when you have partners who have track records and I think um, the thesis itself, not only on gender, but on impact, we were really interested in companies that were going to tackle major problems that could be solved with technology and that we're addressing things for the 99% in sectors we knew something about. We had four sectors that we were going to do this. And I think that also was getting to be a theme people understood um, and a place that was attracting top talent. So we'll get to the sectors in a second, but a quick sidebar. When I worked at the Small Business Administration, I guess right after you started your fund, we did a study with the Library of Congress, publicly traded companies that had diverse boards versus those that didn't. Publicly traded companies with diverse boards outperformed the market, Period, close quote. Absolutely zero mathematical lack of evidence to prove that over and over and over again because we were trying to get the companies we were investing in with the SBICs and all that to have diverse boards. So you were climbing that same mountain, but the data supported everything that you were saying. 10% higher revenue, you know, all the data was there in terms of gender. Um, Higher valuation increases, 64% versus 55%. I mean, the the numbers were there from sources like BCG and PitchBook. So it wasn't me just saying, this feels like it's the case. It was data that was there, and most people saying, oh, I had no idea. Exactly. That's what we, when we announced our thing, people were like, I had no idea. And I was sort of like, I think you might have had an idea. You just chose to not have an idea. So w- when you when you opened the doors, I'm sure you got a lot of business plans and companies begging for your dough. How did you set up the filter and the the, the, the sluice, the, the, the funnel, so to speak, to find your first few investments? You know, our thesis, which really hasn't changed, is to help tackle what we call the valley of death, which was there are a lot of companies that get seed and pre-seed money, but when they get to a Series A and they might have a million in revenue, they really have a hard time because they still don't have the data to take bias out of the equation. And so we were coming in there at sort of Series A and Series B mostly, some late seed, some early C, and helping them scale to $100 million in revenue, sort of venture-style return. And so some businesses automatically would go away that really aren't venture-style businesses, growth businesses. Some would go away that just didn't have the fundamental economics. And some would go away because we ultimately saw that there were plenty of female CEOs. We didn't need to say, oh, it's a female founder who's head of HR. It could actually be a female CEO. And so we are at the point where we look at between 750 and 1,000 companies a year, Hello. of which we pick four or five. So there's plenty of deal flow, which had been a concern early on. Would we have enough deal flow between women and impact? And yeah. the answer is yes. Wow. So how many professionals are at the firm now looking at these 750 deals? You know, no. Um, just you. Um, just you. Yeah, just saying, You're no. busy. No. Um, we have a team. I mean, we're lucky. In terms of full-time investment people, you don't need that many people. And yeah. you can actually do a better job, in our opinion, if – you are staying close and staying nimble and staying small. So we try to have five full-time investment people Got it. working on deals at any given time um, is sort of the idea. Uh, Jenny Abramson, CEO of Rethink Impact, a gender-focused venture capital firm based, in, based right here in Washington, D.C. Really excited to discuss the past, current, and future of this amazing fund. So do you often tail in and dovetail with other funds in larger investments where you lead or don't lead? Is it all the above, or do you like to always be the lead investor? Our model is actually to to lead some of the time and to co-invest. Our view is that we're going to get into better deals if we're flexible and actually have a bigger impact on the entrepreneurs. So 
We just recently did a deal uh, in an opioid addiction company called Eleanor Health. That's phenomenal. Uh, General Catalyst led. We sure. co-invested. We thought that made the most sense in a deal like that. And then, you know, a company like Spring Health and the mental health care, we led the deal. And then later, Tiger and others went on, Kinevac, to lead after us. And so we feel like it really depends on the situation and where we can be the most catalytic. So you mentioned Tiger, and I say this lovingly and respectfully, but there are some in the VC world that say when large chunks of dough like Tiger decide they're venture capitalists, it may be time to back away from the sector. I'm just asking... As, we, as you know more than anybody, but there was so much money sloshing around and so much um, less than seasoned money sloshing around. It looked like it may be time to sort of back away, not from VC itself, but to see some re- reconfiguration on how venture money really helps your companies cross that or get through that valley of death, as you suggest. Are you seeing that or do you think there's some, some natural market readjustments that are going to happen so that huge chunks of money won't be coming in and sloshing around and giving too much to, to companies too early? I think we are seeing some adjustments. I think as the public markets corrected, what happened is um, some of these large funds that were coming in earlier because they could still get a multiple by the time things went public aren't getting quite those multiples and therefore are less willing to push the prices up at the Series B um, for fundamentals that may or may not have been there. And so I think that correction is starting to happen and and may be a very good thing in the end. There's still a lot of capital right now in the VC world and dry powder. So I think you're seeing a really interesting mix of what's happening. And what we're seeing mostly is for really good companies, which we're lucky to have a number of them who are going out to raise right now, they're actually able to raise. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone says no one's putting money into anything. I think people are. They're just caring about the fundamental economics in a way they haven't in a while. So were you the only game in town in 2015 or were you competing with other gender-focused funds? And if if the latter, was your story unique enough that uh, that deals were coming your way from other funds that said, oh, you should you should you should talk to Jenny? Or was it somewhere in between that? Yeah. You know, people often will say, do you have competition? And the truth is. We could use to have lots more funds that yeah. do this kind of work. We don't see it as competition. Mostly the female-focused funds invest a little earlier than we we do, and so they're deal flow for us, which is a fantastic thing. Yep. Um, but we're, we're thrilled to invest with more traditional funds. We're thrilled to invest with more impact funds. We're thrilled to invest with gender funds. Our view is it's about great people who are going to help these companies succeed. It is hard enough to be an entrepreneur, and so we want all the great people behind them with us to make it make an impact. So I'm a limited in uh, a couple of funds that are aimed at demographic targeting for African-American founders. Mm-hmm. Um, you may you may know them. One is based here in the D.C. area. But the um, the idea of targeting the type of founder or management team by the demographic feature, be it gender, race, religion, even um, seems to be hot for all the right and wrong reasons, as we say. But do you think that will continue to grow or do you think they, they that this that there'll be too many and too niche and they'll have some challenges raising money and maintaining their focus? I think as limited partners and institutions, especially big institutions that have a ratio of private to public yeah. that they have to have until the public markets go back up, there's going to be a pullback in terms of investing in funds, which will hurt all kinds of early stage funds. Or first time. No matter what their focus. No matter what their focus. I think people are realizing that there is an untapped area in diverse founders, and whether it's gender, race, or otherwise, 
And that I see as a big opportunity. So Jane Frazier at Citibank, I'm convinced that our, our friend Audrey Choi is going to be the next CEO of Morgan Stanley. I always told her that after Jane was named. So we're seeing some progress, limited, stunted, and far too late. But are you seeing gender in the management ranks of financial institutions, much larger and, 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 and broader, frankly, the venture? Is that a good sign for you? And will that help your fund? I think it's a great sign. I think entrepreneurs seeing women at the top ranks of all kinds of things makes a big difference. I think even companies like Elevest that we led the Series A for yes. and Sally Krawcheck, watching her profile grow even more and having entrepreneurs see her. April Coe, who runs Spring Health, one of our companies, star. you know, yeah. $2 billion valuation. People see a, Hello. an immigrant under 30 running a $2 billion valuation company that's tackling a critical issue. Lindsay, who runs, you know, care uh, a caregiving business called Wealthy. These kinds of profiles being elevated, I think, is only good for all aspects of, of business. Agreed. We're talking with Jenny Abramson. She is the founder and CEO, founder, founding partner of Rethink Impact, a gender-focused venture capital firm based here in Washington, D.C. When we come back, we're going to talk about that thing called COVID. Last time I checked, it did affect companies, growth, employees, and culture. That conversation is coming up. What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. Many of our guests have come to us from others who say, Hey, if your show's about people who are really getting things done in the region, you should really be talking to dot, dot, dot. And we love bringing those new voices to our audience. We look forward to hearing from you. at What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Once again, we're excited to have with us in the studio, Jenny Abramson. She's the founder and managing partner of Rethink Impact, a gender-focused venture fund right here in Washington, D.C. That is killing it, ladies and gentlemen. On to Fund 2. Fund 1 was in 2015. Is that correct, Jenny? That was your... Yep. yep. Fund 2 launched in 2020. Congratulations. So, so as Mark Andreessen has famously said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. COVID, to me, is one of the greatest culture disruptors or maybe enhancers we're going to see in our business careers. Walk me through your experience as an investor with companies that were COVID culture resistant or where COVID fractured or hurt culture or somewhere in between. No, look, I, I, I'm happy to walk you through that. I, I honestly think there's sort of a broader thing, which is what was the impact on of COVID on sort of entrepreneurs broadly. Okay. And then how did different companies respond? Got and it. I would say, um, you know, a firm like ours, our team is distributed all across the country. 
that was how we were before COVID. And so we were ready in some ways. Ready to go. We were already using Zoom. We were already used to meeting remotely. And if anything, we always thought that made sense because we could meet people in all parts of the country. So having people in five cities always made sense. I think for a lot of companies that held on to this notion of there's only one way to bond and it's being in person and going on retreats and going golfing or doing whatever. Falling backwards with your eyes closed. Yes. That that? was a, a hard transition. I think for others who said, wait, this is a great way to get talent in locations we've never been able to afford or, you know, never thought about and now can afford people, more staff, more people, um, employees who got happier because they moved to places that they would rather be. I think for some it was a real benefit. I think for women overall, COVID hurt them disproportionately in terms of entrepreneurs okay. versus male-run companies in terms of funding because the venture capital world resorted back to their own networks. Yep. And people just sort of went back to people I've invested in before. I think long-term, it'll actually help because I think that now people are comfortable with Zoom who never would have used Zoom. Yeah, And people are meeting entrepreneurs in geographies they never would have looked at a company in. And especially for women or women with children who, you know, and all parents with children who may want to travel less, it now allows them to access venture capitalists and access people in ways that they couldn't have dreamed of before COVID. So I think long-term it will be good, even though it had a short-term hit on female entrepreneurs. So what about the culture of the company itself? Are there are there companies you're investing in where you're seeing some fracturing of, I won't say culture, that's the wrong word. One of the words I use is just just the promotion ladder. How, how does an employee in a COVID unresistant company figure out how he or she is going to get promoted and how they can impress their boss and do all the stuff that we used to do back in the day to get a new title? Well, in some ways, I think it's through the work itself more than it used to be. It used to be you were going for drinks maybe after work with your boss. I think it used to be you were going to golf. And now there are ways people are doing that bonding still online. I think people have to be more proactive than they used to be. They need to set up one-on-ones. They need to do things like that. But I actually think it equals the playing field Got it. in ways that didn't used to exist, especially for parents and for others who maybe couldn't always partake in those activities. Wow. So I think it's actually a good thing as it relates to moving up the, the ladder. Yeah. I wish I bought Zoom stock, huh? Yeah, exactly. So were you were actually using Zoom before COVID or you were yeah. using – okay, because I was a big yeah. Skype guy, but yeah. what the hell – whatever the hell happened to them – in some ways, just as an aside, I think Zoom's going to be an OS someday. I really do. They're they're adding features that seem like they're going to be our operating system. I mean, maybe they'll sit on top of some other operating system, yeah. but they really are an operating system. So how did you choose the five cities or where your part, or how did you choose your partners in the cities they're in? Honestly, it was really people's lives. I mean, we have an employee who started in California and moved to New York. We had an employee who started in D.C., moved to New York, and now just moved to Pittsburgh. We had someone who started in California and, you know, uh, their partner – was uh, doing a PhD in Chicago. So they moved to Chicago, and our view was great. Well, there's probably a great deal flow in Chicago. We do office hours in all of our cities, and virtually once a month. We started in 2017 in response to all the sexual harassment stuff in the Valley, and it got filled up through the end of the year, sort of within hours. So we kept that going um, for any entrepreneur to be able to access a venture capitalist. And I think what we found was that gave us geographic reach we hadn't had, Having people in these cities does the same thing. We're talking with Jenny Abramson. She is the founder and managing partner of Rethink Impact, a gender-focused venture capital firm here in Washington, D.C. You mentioned four sectors. So that's the, that's the focus of your investment, considering. What are the four, and have they always been the same four? 
always been the same four. It was sort of some combination of what we knew something about, where we saw large addressable market, where we saw impact, and where tech could really make a difference. So it was digital health. So yep. I think not FDA approved, not medical devices, but mental health, um, cognitive decline. Second sector, education, so educational equality, less curriculum, more workforce, businesses like Guild Education we invest in, or Winnie, childcare, early childcare. Third is economic empowerment or fintech for good, things like Elevest or Candidly, which is tackling the student debt crisis. And fourth is environmental sustainability, usually sort of IoT type plays or data plays within environmental space. And what's sort of the balance of those four? Is it is it kind of like 25% each or have you found you've accelerated in some others? Depends on what's happening in the sector. We, yeah. we care a lot about prices. So it depends where prices are, depends where deal flow is. Um, and so we don't have hard and fast rules. Uh, we do find that there is a much higher number of women running health businesses, digital health, than yep. we had anticipated. Uh, incredible numbers. And so um, we've gotten a plethora of businesses. But what we mostly have found is most businesses don't fit in one sector. They cross multiple. Right. And so really a lot of them you can't categorize. So I'm seeing – actually, I just invested in a company that's you know te- telemedicine, which is – Sadly, one of these terms has been stretched so far and wide, yeah. it could mean anything. Like you called your cousin Susie and, and said, I feel sick, right? But are you seeing telemedicine or versions of that, either literally calling a doctor and seeing him or her or the monitoring of, of our mobile devices? Is that a hot sector to you in, in health? You know, I'd say aspects of it touch different businesses. So we invest in a company, Evidation Health, that's democratizing clinical trials, which traditionally have had you know, one gender and one race. Nice. And so they're using aspects of telemedicine to reach people in geographies that couldn't traditionally be in clinical trials. Or Wealthy, W-E-L-L-T-H-Y, which is helping to do sort of concierge care for employees from their employer um, to help with chronic caregiving situations or help with uh, putting, let's say, a loved one in a in an assisted living facility and helping with all those people that leads to those employees using it being a third less likely to take a leave of absence. Because wow. one of the things COVID showed was that people were doing a lot of caregiving, right? 30 unpaid hours of caregiving a week on yep. average for women. Yep. And so we find that there's aspects of quote-unquote telemedicine that fit into these different businesses. What about EDU? I've spent a lot, bunch of time in that uh, with Blackboard and a whole bunch of other EDU com- education companies. You mentioned GILT, um, which is upskilling for employees. Is that a fair sort of yep. summary of it? Do you see employers being more and more a player in educating their employees to maintain loyalty, increase their capacity, stuff like that? Or should we keep thinking of ways to chase K through 12 in the university system or all the above? I mean, I think that there's a lot of opportunity in education. I do think employers, whether it's in education or in mental health or in caregiving, are realizing that not only is it a good thing to do, but it's actually – a necessary thing to do to retain the best employees yep. and to keep them focused on their job to help with all aspects of, yeah. of both a person's journey in their own education as well as helping with their family and that you can no longer sort of close the door on the other parts of their lives. So we're talking with Jenny Abramson. Once again, she's the founder and managing partner of Rethink Impact, gender-focused venture capital firm here in Washington, D.C. All right, so here's the tough question. Um I'm on the board of some not, not nonprofits that have a lot of Gen Z and some Gen X employees who seem to feel that they should be promoted every six months. 
And I'm wondering, is that something you're seeing in the for-profit startup world as companies grow and cross the chasm and, and, and Valley of Death and all that? Or is this sort of an NGO thing that only Washington seems to have going going for it? I'm always reluctant to give a general statement know, on an I entire know, know. generation. Yeah. But, right. but. I, I think it's probably a combination of generational. Um, and I would guess that as the economy continues to, to hit tougher times, yes. it will maybe not happen quite as often. I think some of this was a symptom of the economy being so good, people needing to keep employees, yep. that they were throwing titles at them beyond just the money. Senior director of parking. I mean, it really, yeah. it got a little wacky in some cases. So, okay, so as times get tighter, jobs get tighter, loyalty may be easier to, quote, purchase, unquote. Another uh, quick question before we get to our, to our wrap-up. You were at Boston Consulting Group early yes. in your career. BCG back then was, you know, McKinsey, Bain, right? Now they're one of the big body shops for the United States government of all time. Could you have ever predicted that BCG would be, to, be what it is today? No. No, yeah. I, I could not. When I was sitting there working on, you know, bath products and wine mergers, hey. I, you know, who knew? Who knew? Um, but uh, I feel very lucky to have gotten a few good skills, some good skills there, and uh, still in touch with, with many of the, the partners I worked with. So uh, you, amazed. you you extracted maximum value from your BCG experience. <laughs> it's very helpful every time I write a deck. All right, Jenny Abramson, the founder and managing partner of Rethink Impact. We ask all of our guests here in What's Working in Washington a final question, which is, if you ran the world, and someday you will, if you ran the world... What would you start happening that isn't today or stop happening that is today that you wish were not around? Mm. Or both. You can choose either one. Okay. Take your time. Uh, you know, this is, this is such a such a hard question. Um, I, I have to say, not to be too on brand, but I have to say I would definitely have 50% of venture dollars going to women and even percentage of dollars going to all kinds of people because diverse investing is just good for business and good for the world. I, uh, you know, and I would love for my own daughters not to be here, you know, 20 years from now doing sort of looking at the same data. I uh, probably would get self-driving cars, though, also ready faster because I happen to be a really bad driver. And so for everyone's sake, that might be a good thing. But no, I, I have to say it's, it's probably to change the numbers. It is on brand, but appropriately on, on brand because you've, you've, you've committed your corporate career and personal energy to it. So I'd be very surprised if you weren't on brand. Self-driving cars. I own a self-driving car. Yeah. They're not there yet. Just that's, so you that's know. That's what I mean. When I say there, I don't mean they exist. Yeah. I mean really there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I am. Uh, so I, I tested a lot. I have a Tesla. So I test uh, in the various situations and um, we're just not there yet. So, so some, but someday you and I share the vision that there will be self-driving cars. I, I wanted, I though, to say that I wanted all the D.C. sports teams to win every year okay. and all that, but Let's I felt that felt selfish. Yeah. Okay. Rethink Impact, a gender-focused venture capital firm here in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for being with us, Jenny. Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. And for anyone who has cool deals on this, I'm at Abrams and Jenny. Behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.